Let's pray together quickly. Father, let's pray for your Holy Spirit to come to still our hearts and heads and implant in us that which you want us to know of you this morning. Change us. May we leave here a little bit more like your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. How are you? I never get to say that anymore. Um, I always say, may I speak in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's all a bit more formal um, where I am. My name is Barry. Uh, many of you will know me. Um, you're now thinking, I knew I'd seen him somewhere before. Um, that's me. Uh, some of you don't because the wonderful thing about this church is that new people come in all the time, don't they? Um, my wife Jill and our three boys, Ben, Simon and Tom, joined this church, this church in 1998. If you're thinking World Cups, that was France. <laughs> okay, and we saw it through to the Olympics. No, we didn't. Yes, we did. Um, we left last year, 2012. Um, in the meantime, I, I was ordained, I became curate and assistant pastor here in 2008 and stayed here until 2012, it was about five years. Um, so we spent a long time, 14 years of our family life, worshipping in this community um, and uh, left it eight, nine months ago to go and do a new work in St. John's Greenhill, Harrow. I know, Polly, if you've got that slide, there you go. Uh, I stood up at the 9.15 and said I have no idea why it's called Green Hill because it ain't green and there's no hill. And one of the congregation came up afterwards, he googled it and it's apparently named after the historical landowner, Mr. Green Hill, who owned that area which is actually the commercial heart of Harrow. It's, it's, um, Harrow on the hill is most, what most people think of, isn't it? When I say Harrow, you think the school maybe, and boaters and, and all that kind of stuff. This is down in the kind of where the people live, you know, where the shops are and the offices are and so on. Uh, it's an incredibly diverse place. So we went there to take on this church, which is on the high street. It's literally where all the shops are. Right opposite us is Debenhams. In fact, when we give directions, that's what we say. It's opposite Debenhams, and, and people get there, and so on. And there's this amazing footfall, this, this uh, coming together of people all into that center, walking past our door the whole time. And it's, it's a long story, and I won't tell it all, uh, but we went there as part of a small plant from this church in December, because this church needed some, uh, it needed kind of new, a new chapter. It wasn't dead, but in 10 years' time it probably would be. And, and, and the bishop and Mark and, and a few other people just had a sense that this church needed to fulfill its potential where it was. It wasn't okay to let this one go because it's right where the people are, right in the center of the community. So we started that in December. Uh, quick word about the elders. Actually, I was going to subtitle this talk uh, Four Funerals and a Wedding. Because um, that's actually literally what has been true. And this was the wedding. I'll, I'll, I'll major on the positive side of that, not the negative side. And this took place uh, not yeah, last Friday week, uh, seven or eight days ago. 
and Likai and Olivia are part of my team and they have moved there, got married there. It's a very, very deliberate, intentional thing to do. And that's brought a number of communities together, just the preparation and conduct of that wedding. You feel it's actually made some difference to the fabric because the existing church was able to get behind it, support it, host it, lay on the, uh, you know, help lay on the, um, uh, the refreshments and so on, which, which involved collaborative work with Likai's father, who 20 years ago planted a church in the same place. Just up to the left from there is a community hall called Victoria Hall, and he planted a Chinese church, which still meets there to this day. Therefore, we suddenly realized the, the, the older members of the church came, started to come up to me and said, I reckon I ruffled Likai's hair about 20 years ago. <laughs> you know, there's something that was started then that is coming to fruition now. And that's what I really want to talk about this morning is this idea that Jesus said, I will build my church. And I, just, I want to share some stories with you about God's fingerprints that are all over this venture which is still very young, still in its early days, still in the, any, anyone here a decorator? No, I know you'll pay for it to be done, don't you? I know. Um, but if you ever talk to one, they'll tell you, you know, nothing happens really until you're two thirds of the way through the job. It's all prep. In order to get the, the result, it's all prep. Anyone here do gardening? Yeah, it's a few. You pay for that too, don't you? Um, Gardeners will tell you the same thing, you know, the more invisible hard work you do, the better the result will be at the end of the day. You go for the quick fix, you'll need to go for the quick fix again next year and the year after and the year after that. And it won't be a lasting work. So we're at the beginning of that foundational preparation stage, but already I can see the fingerprints of God in what we're doing. Okay, let me move on um, one slide. This is the area. Uh, this is drawn from, uh, um, what do you call it, uh, census stats and whatnot. And I just copied and pasted it, so I lost the title in doing that. But no, man, that's what it is. That is Harrow, okay? No talk of mine will be complete without a pie. There's always got to be a pie in my time. Um, it, it, it's done by religious or expression of religious adherence. That's what it looks like, okay? Uh, the big red bit is the so-called Christian. The big lime green bit is a Hindu, and then there's a whole load of others. There's a big yellow chunk there which says none. Now, if you look at the reality of um, the, the, the Christian population of Britain, you'll know that a big chunk of that red is really none, because it's nominal. You know, the census says between 50 and 70% of the people in this country are Christian. Now, I don't want to be a defeatist, but that is not true, is it? It's simply not true by any sensible definition of the word Christian. What that means is they come from an ethnic Christian background, and that's what they write on their passport. Well, the same is true in Harrow. There's nothing like 47% of the people there are actually Christian, but they come from a Christian background. So the actual no religion or no faith part of Harrow is huge, and then you've got these, these other... Um, ethnic uh, uh, backgrounds to sort of speak into and to try and bless. The point is, it's hugely diverse. Statistically, Harrow is the most diverse borough in the country. In other words, there's the greatest number of different um, backgrounds. 
and that makes it an extremely interesting place. Um, go on a bit, Polly. That's what the church looks like. Big deal. Most churches look like that. This church looks like that. That's what it looks like inside. And I showed these slides actually last year before I left. It still looks like that. Uh, we haven't ripped the pews out yet. Um, it is designed for a certain type of worship. Um, it's, it's, it's geared around the assumption that people will come and spend about an hour of their week in an expression of some worship or other. So there's one toilet, it's in completely the wrong place. Um, where the, the, the lower church hall here is, the, the foyer room or whatever, is, is still pews, so that none of that exists. Certainly none of this <laughs> exists. You know, there's, a, there's an altar and all that kind of stuff. And it's geared around this assumption that people will come, they'll go to the loo before they come out, that's what you should do, um, come to church and go home. It's not designed to be easy to heat. It's not designed to be welcoming. It's designed to host a ceremony, basically. And um, no, no big issues with any of that. I can understand why people build churches that way, or used to. The point is society... That, that culture, that pie chart has moved on completely from the innate set of assumptions that built that church the way it's built. It's different. In fact, it went different very, very quickly and most of the church missed it. Decades ago, 50, 60 years ago, it wasn't, wasn't recent. It took them decades, a whole generation to realize that's what had happened. And then some churches, those with money or those with vision, have, have caught up with it. We were right at the beginning of that phase of reconnecting that church with that pie chart. And that's the job, to build that church there. Not to be a gathered community of people from miles around who just happen to like the way we do it. That's what goes on now. 70% of the people in that church don't live in the parish. They just like the way it does worship. Now that's not particularly my vision. But based on this premise, and this is why I chose the, that, that passage, based on this premise that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church. That particular passage in scripture from Matthew 16 has been argued about for many centuries along Protestant and Catholic lines. Okay? And the argument goes like this. What is the rock that Jesus is talking about? Is the rock Peter? Or is the rock Peter's expression of faith? His confession of Christ as the Son of God? Yada, 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 yada. Nobody ever changes their mind. This just goes on and on and on. And the most important part of that verse is completely missed, which is Jesus said, I will build my church. You can go to a pub and argue about Peter till the cows come home. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all which of those two views you take. The point is Jesus is building his church, which is just as well because I've got Catholics and Protestants in my church. It's a most amazing eclectic mix, and they kind of get on. And we, we kind of just have fun together, and the occasional clarification <laughs> um, from the front. 
good example of that, um, a month before I started, the, the, the warden, one of the wardens, said to me, what should we call you? I thought, well, that's a dangerous question, isn't it? But um, do we call you father? All right. And I said, I, said that, I feel a bit awkward about that. Explain. She said, well, there are, there's a bunch of people, particularly the Afro-Caribbeans, who've been brought up in that tradition. They probably can't call an ordained person anything else. It's so ingrained in their culture to call the priest or the assistant priest, the, any, anyone who's, who's actually ordained, they will call father. That's not going to be easy to change. I said, well, don't change it then. They can call me that. And there are other people who will refuse to call you father. I went, okay, so I can't lose, can I? They just do what they like. I said, my only condition is this. You respect their view, and you respect their view. So if they, you hear them call me father, don't object, and if you hear them call me Barry, don't object. And that's the deal, and that's the way we run the church. All right, and it's based on this. This is Jesus Christ's church. It's not mine, doesn't belong to me, um, it's presided over by bishops and structures and so on, and I'm put in there to do a certain job and a certain role. But it is the church that Jesus built. And everything else is just faff, actually, while we try and be honourable and obedient to that task. And Jesus says, whom do you say that I am? It's the central question in everyone's journey of faith. Whom do you say Jesus is? And what I'm exploring now is what is the church that Jesus wants to build in that place? What is it that I'm supposed to be obedient to? And the day I realized that that was the question was the day the 10-ton weight fell off my shoulders. Because I spent 14 years here, 14 years um, riding the spirit, I'll call it success, I mean that in the best, most reverent sort of one, a, a place that had got it, where things were not a struggle really, not, not you know, people didn't argue, they just got on with it. We worked hard, but you didn't have that sense of strife. And then when you're not in that anymore, and you wake up in the morning, and you think, oh hang on, there's nobody here to take the blame anymore. <laughs> right? There's nobody here that the buck, I can't, I can't do that anymore. It's me. Um, and there's no one else um, to take the flack from him either. You know, there's, there's no one to deflect it to. There's no one else to say, oh, they'll sort that out. Now, actually, before you get used to it, that can engender some fear you know, a sense of nervousness, a sense of, oh my goodness, um, I wish Mark was here, I wish, wish Chris was here, um, I wish Tim was here. Remember Tim? You know, um, there's someone just to stand alongside and so on. And then I just heard God say, and I really did hear him say, remember, I'm building this church. Have some fun, make some mistakes. And then I went, is that all? I can do that, particularly the second bit. Have some fun. I'm building this church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you see in this passage where Jesus talks to Peter, the inauguration of this fantastic collaborative work. 
you or your faith or whatever else is going to be the rock on which I'm going to build it. I'm going to build it and you are just going to be wonderfully involved. It's probably going to cost you, but it's going to be great. It cost Peter everything in the end, didn't it? It's not a, not a happy ending in, in many people's books. But look what happened. And that's the sort of uh, psyche that, that, that I've adopted, that the, the faith starts that I've adopted, that Jesus is building this church. We've got plans, we've got ideas, we've got you know, mission action plans written and embraced and so on but that he's doing it. And secondly, that he's building what he's called my church or his church. Not what I would necessarily bring as a blueprint, but the church infused with life from this place and from the Holy Spirit, but as a context for that place. Not just a replica of something which has been successful somewhere else, but a church for those people that walk past its door it's just too good an opportunity not to do that. Okay, move on one more, Polly. And this is the context. The, the, it's not like here at all. Uh, people walk past my door, they come in through the door um, who are homeless and deprived and lonely and detached from their roots. And um, a year ago, just over a year ago, David Parker from the... Uh, vineyard church in California, yeah, came here and described his church. Does anyone here anyone remember that talk? Yeah, some, some real connections here because it really struck the staff team. And it just so happened I was chairing the, the staff meeting afterwards. You were there, Mark, weren't you? You were there. You remember the conversation? Um, that we felt God was calling St. Paul's to do something a bit above and beyond the, the, the kind of thing that we were used to, not that we you know, were sitting on our hands then. David preached about firstly being a church for the poor, not, not just for the poor, but of the poor, a place where they could be welcomed and uh, assimilated and healed. But also that God did not like going about it with haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. It's a, it's a statement from Proverbs 6. One of those six things the Lord hates and seven are an abomination. This is one of those, you know, that he hates haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. And I picked up on the visionary bit, you know, being a church for the poor and of the poor in, in a place where they needed um, the gospel of mercy and forgot the haughty eyes bit. And then went into this church thinking, well, not quite like that, but you know what I mean? thinking, right, you're, you're going you're to listen and I'm going to talk. And quickly realised, God brought it back to my head very, very quickly, that's not what I want you to do. And he said this to me, he said, this church and this community is my gift to you, not the other way around. The church is God's gift to me, not the other way around. That makes a huge difference your mentality when you go into a place. You know, in English, we have a phrase, don't we? He thinks he's God's gift. It's not a compliment, ever. It always speaks to pride and judgmentalism and um, contempt. And that is something I just had to be very, very wary of. There are loads of things that will need to change. There are loads of things that will need to be transformed. But Jesus is doing that, and there is a time for it. 
and, and a process. And he wants to build something which I believe would be more like a garden perennial than constantly planting annuals for quick effect. You know, you can, you can have a colourful garden overnight, can't you? You go to the garden centre, pay your money and do a bit of digging the next day and you've got it. But you'll need to do the same again next year and the year after and the year after. And I really feel that we're building, or Jesus is building, the perennial community gospel in Green Hill. Something that will take a little bit longer to get going, but will flower in season year after year after year. Let me just tell you then what we've done, or what has happened. And then I'll just outline this fingerprint of God for you that I think is there. First success, we've moved in, got there, won them over, gained their trust. Um, my spiritual director said to me the other week, he says, it takes time to rebuild hope in people. People take time to rebuild hope in themselves. And we've started that process. You can really see it in the way people talk. To my knowledge, only three people left, which is not bad. You know, and in fact, they found a better place for them, and it was good, actually. Secondly, by the end of August, we will have had nine baptisms, eight of them young people or adults, only one baby. So eight genuine expressions of faith taken to baptism in that church. Thirdly, we've established a new service. We got them to move their traditional service my traditional service to 9.30 instead of 10 o'clock and started something new at 11. And we've got a, a kind of a rotating congregation of a, between 25 and 40 people. They don't all come at once. You know, that's the frustration. They come, you know, in the course of a month, you'll probably see 40 people go through it, but it's 22, 23 each week. Something to build on, something to really release the um, desires already within the congregation to worship God in a new way. And it is there. And they've now got a platform for it without losing the old. Likai and Ollie have established um, a youth work which has already got 10 to 12 kids associated with it. They meet fortnightly and in the autumn they want to go three weeks out of four. I have to keep kind of like, you know, go, go steady. You know me, go steady, go steady. But they want to do that. So suddenly there is gospel work being proclaimed into young people who are largely absent from the church and are now starting to rebuild a connection. We've got a new website going live within the next 10 days, which will be a platform to start promoting that in place of the old one. That takes time, by the way. It took, it's taken six months to do that. It just does. And... Um, that's something you learn as well, that this work is a slow building process that will yield much better results if you do it properly. We've agreed, designed, funded and ordered new notice boards for outside. Anyone seen the old ones? The old ones are famous, famously bad. I have found another church locally which are much worse and that made me feel better because um, I have that kind of mentality. But their new ones are going up in five, six weeks, and that's all done. That's faculties and all sorts, you wouldn't believe. We've set up a new Wednesday prayer Bible study life group, uh, which meets in our house. Ten to 15 people come to that. Phil Avery's dad comes to that. 
Where's Phil? He was here just now. Is he gone? Um, yeah. He's good. Um, and uh, that, that's, that's growing. It's going to take a little break for the summer, but it'll start again and we'll relaunch it um, once new wine kicks in and so on. We've launched food bank collections. Heard of food bank? You must have. Uh, Harrow and in Wheelstone, it's quite a big thing. They do supermarket collections and so on. Holy Trinity Wheelstone are really coordinating that and it's really taken off. Anyway, we, 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 we launched it with that, without a fanfare, just a bit in the notice sheet and a little table. First Sunday, I got 70 kilograms worth of stuff. Um, and um, we've had 30 or 40 kilograms every week since. So it's just something that's clicked with them, that they know there are people out there like that who need our help. Um, Leekai has also picked up on the idea that he wants to do something systematic about this. And we wait and see when they're back, you know, that will take shape. And instead of just sort of nodding and praying with people, we'll have something in place to do something systematic, along with the local agencies and so on. Um, a few weeks ago, a guy called Nick walked into our Saturday morning service. I'll tell you about that in a minute. What a pain, Saturday mornings, huh? Um, and he was homeless. And because he was of a certain ethnicity, he had no children, he wasn't sick, he wasn't a desperate case, they did nothing for him. And he slept there on that bench for four nights. During those nights, he said to me, you don't really sleep, he said, because do you know what? People come and go and they wake you up because they want to borrow a cigarette or something. Uh, So you drift in and out of sleep. During that first two nights, I've got to tell you, he said, between 30 and 35 people congregate. This is the war memorial just outside the door, by the way. I should have explained that. Okay, it's got some seats. 30 to 35 people turned up and spent some time there during the course of the night. Officially, those people don't exist. There is no homeless problem in Harrow. Well... There is. These people walk into the church. They've got stories galore to get you, not to help them, but just to give them money. People are ashamed of the reasons why they end up in that state. They won't tell you the truth. It's very difficult to deal with emotionally apart from anything else. Put it this way, if 10 people come in and all have medication and none of them have food to take it with, so can I have some money, you begin to think that something's not quite right. Or another five come in, one after the other, and they've all got a relative in a distant hospital and all of them don't have the train fare. You begin to think, you're not telling me the truth. And they're not. But they do have a truth. There is a story, there is a reason, and they do need help. But people are ashamed. They won't tell you the truth. They have to play a moral game to extort money out of you because that's the kind of society we are. What do we do about that? But that's a huge opportunity for us. Um, Leekai's networking with local worship leaders. He's got something going on there, very embryonic and so on. And he's reached out to the Chinese church that his dad planted. And we're doing something collaborative with them in a few weeks. Um, I've had a conversation with a local, uh, one of, one of Pete uh, Broadbent's chaplains who does international churches. And there's a conversation just starting about maybe we could do a Gujarati thing 
in Harrow. That's a big chunk of the population. Why not have another congregation that appeals to them? My church don't know about that yet, and I haven't even met the guy. But it's an embryonic thing. And it's come about by chance conversations. All the services are growing, even Evensong. Anyone been to Evensong? Gavin, you've been to Evensong. We've doubled the numbers without you. <laughs> right? Uh, there's now about 20 people going to that because we sing now instead of just chant, you know, you know just speak. Yeah. So um, you're going to turn up now, aren't you? Um, here's the hidden hand of God. Here's the fingerprints, all right? Just after Christmas, sometime in early January, a knock on the door of the vicarage. You think, oh gosh, you know, here we go. One thing I don't want to do is people coming and asking me for help. I'm not that kind of person, you know. But um, a knock on the door, I open it up, and this person's standing there saying, I found your wife's purse on Finchley Road Station. And I went, is your name so-and-so? I said, no, it's not. Have you got the right address? She said, yeah, the driving license in here, it says, you know, blah, blah, blah. Ah, that's the person who used to live here. He's a Methodist minister. I know him. You can trust me. I'm a vicar. And she, I knew she'd understand that term. That's not actually my title, but never mind. She said, well, I'm a Christian. We go to this church. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that I found it on Finchley Road? Isn't that? I said, that, that is really great. Yeah. Anyway, we, we dined on this story for a day or two and then forgot about it. Anyway, and she did get her purse back, by the way. I haven't still got it. Six months later, I'm walking around the church with an architect friend recommended by another chance conversation with another person in St. Um, Christchurch, Roxeth. So it's a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend who happens to be an architect. And he's looking at the church and saying, you know, if you have a 10-year vision, what could you do? Because I want to start that, because otherwise the process never starts. He said, actually, no, you and I have met. I said, no, I don't think we have. He said, yes, we have. Do you remember when, I, when we brought that purse back to your house back in January? I said, that was you? He said, yeah, I was in the car. That was my wife. She, I, was, I was sitting there with the engine ticking over. Now, that doesn't actually mean anything. There's no substance to that story. But there's a little fingerprint of God in it. Do you see it? Just a kind of, I'm with you. I will build my church. There's no meaning to that. It's just a coincidence of a coincidence of a coincidence, which I don't believe in. A few weeks later, I was on the local town centre development forum. Does that sound exciting to anyone in the room? (laughs) Anybody? There's prayer available afterwards uh, if you find that title exciting. And it wasn't particularly exciting. It was, it was doing good things, but it was pretty processional. And um, halfway through it, I'd, I'd introduce myself with a sentence. I'm St. John's Greenhill. Blah, blah, blah. I'd love to open up that church and make it part of everything you're doing here. And he went, yeah, yeah, thank you very much. More or less shut me up and then moved on. Halfway through, somebody passes me a piece of paper with a name and a phone number on it. And then somebody else passes me a piece of paper with a name and a phone number on it. And I thought, I'm being asked to join the Masons here. <laughs> All right, it's time to roll my trouser leg up. Because it is that kind of place, you know. Um, anyway, it was the two local councillors, the two locally elected ward councillors for Green Hill. And we've had coffee every month since we meet in the Cumberland Hotel. And we're planning how we can make that church, which you saw on the previous slide, reach out to the community and do community stuff. 
And they've put me in, in touch with people who know funding, people who do project management, people who've worked on other church cafes around the place and all the rest of it. And that, in turn, led to a document which I wrote pretty recently called a Mission Action Plan. The previous one was one page long. This one's about five pages long. It actually says something. I put it in front of the PCC saying, look, the, the council are really up for this. The local people are really up for this. Would you be expecting this barrage of opposition? Any issues? We do too many things on a Wednesday. That was the opposition I got. Other than that, fantastic, he said. So we are now at the beginning of opening up that church in a... Imagine if you had, you know, you got your kitchen here. Imagine none of that was there, but you've just got that and an area in which to sit. We've got this vision for community cafe, invite people in, sit and talk. Sort of what we tried to do with Skylight here, if many of you remember that but actually in the church, the same objectives. It's going to take ages, and we've got to start with what we've got. But the church is excited about it, the council want to do it, local churches are interested in it. Um, I met by chance an old friend who runs Perivale Christian Bookshop. Anyone go there? It's a few nodding heads. And he's up for running the bookshop in the church now, on a, not, all, not all day every day, because that, but we've got no overheads, no rent, nothing to pay, but a high street location. And the local churches are interested in that too. By the way, none of this exists. I, if I never come back, it would be, be because none of it ever happened. But it's all kind of there. And I can see that my point is that I didn't seek out any of these people with a blueprint. They came to me. They passed me bits of paper. They walked into the church. And I'm thinking, Jesus, this is good. You're doing it. I'm along for the ride. And I get a great house out of it. I can do this. Let me close. I will build my church. I will build, 10 ton weight, my church. Really exciting. And that's, that's not our church. That's what it could be like with a few quid and a lot of hard work. But somewhere to, imagine that, but in the open space of the church and people coming and talking and sharing. You're not telling me lies, just, just sharing you know, and being prayed for. That church, the people who go there already and the people who will go there are God's gift to me, not the other way round. That's what I want you to remember and that Jesus is building that church. And that so much of that is an answer to your prayers. I know Invisible to me, separate from where I am, you guys have been praying. I mean, you provide the finances for uh, Leekai and Ollie and the work they do anyway. So although I'm grateful to Jesus for building his church, I'm also grateful to you for your faithfulness, not just in money, but in prayers, because that's what's bringing those conversations about, you know? That's what's making those coincidences happen that I can work with. There are loads of there are certain people in the church who I would think they'll never be on my side. They'll never be on my side. And it's all it's all me making it up. They're not against me at all. It's just me imagining, you know, conflict which doesn't exist. But the person I thought who would be least likely 
to help me, now wants to take me to Uxbridge to visit St. Margaret's where they do that. So come along, I know what you're talking about, they do it in, that, in St. Margaret's Uxbridge. I'll show you. Okay, I'll give you a lift. No, 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 go on the tube, it's much easier. Come on, we'll just sort out a date and go. It's just like haughty eyes, you know. Don't look at people with judgment because you just don't know what's going on inside their hearts. I just sense that Jesus is doing something. I don't know how long Jill and I will be part of it. You know, it'd be years. It's not months. It's, it's, it's a very, very long job, this. It could be a very long time. I don't know. But so long as he's doing it and not me, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And people there will be blessed and the other churches will be blessed and um, it'll be good. Let me pray and then we can... Father, for your great gifts, we praise you. For the gift of your life on the cross, for the story that is our gospel, I thank you. For the very fact that we stand before you as your children, we thank you. But for your gift to us of local people with stories and backgrounds and needs and hunger, we thank you, but for the fact that you are building your church and the gates of hell will never, never win, we thank you. Father, for each individual life here, I thank you. And I pray, Lord, that through your spirit you will touch them this morning as we worship and minister. Amen. <laughs>